Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hello, all. Welcome to Occupy Health. This is Dr. Susan. Here we want to learn about how to be on the road toward optimal health, how to make ourselves more healthy, and how to um, just stay healthy so we don't have to go running to the doctor because uh, we've got a chronic disease. Let's see what we can do to prevent that. So various nutraceuticals and health um, supplements and you know diets are very helpful in this progress process. So today we have Dr. Evie Kemp who's going to give us quite a bit of information and she's got a very interesting history. She's been involved in three separate but interconnected fields. She's worked for many years as a lead physician in occupational medicine at the Center for Occupational Health and Well-Being at the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford in the UK. She's got a special interest in doctors and medical students' health and well-being, and many of her patients come from these two groups. Since 2018, she has divided her time between Israel and Oxford and is now working in a medical education, running workshops for doctors, lecturing medical students, and as a director of medical student well-being at the Technion American Medical School in Haifa, She's developed and teaches a 12-week module which gives students an introduction to lifestyle and occupational medicine and a range of tools to create their own health and well-being plans for medical school and beyond. She and her husband also founded and run a business called Haskapa, which produces superfood products made from the Haskap berries grown on their own natural farm in Nova Scotia in Canada. As a research director, she coordinates Haskap berry in scientific knowledge and academic research for the company. So Ascapa was founded by her husband and her wife, and they are green entrepreneurs. They fell in love with this wonderful berry back in 2010 and found a way to combine their passions for the environment, lifestyle medicine, and ethical business by growing these berries in Nova Scotia, Canada. This berry has been used for centuries in traditional medicine and was named by the indigenous Anyo people of northern Japan who knew it as their elixir of life. Each Haskap berry contains two twin blue-purple berries inside. They're wrapped in an outer purple-blue skin with a deep crimson flesh. As a result of their abundant, vibrant color, they have a higher key nutritional values with three times the antioxidants and four times the anthocyanins compared to blueberries. Haskapa has been supporting scientific research into Haskap berries for a number of years, and they've discovered how to freeze-dry these berries, preserve them, re- retain their tangy, sweet flavor, as well as their levels of anthocyanins. They've commissioned two groundbreaking studies on this, uh, researching the effect of this berry on cognition and blood pressure in older adults and exercise endurance in runners. So let's find out about this. I've been using it and it's very tasty and I put it in yogurt or milk, you know, various things and it's quite delicious. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for inviting me to take part. 
So why don't you go through some of this history and what got you going in these different directions? Obviously, you're committed to physicians and uh, you know, clinicians uh, being very aware of nutritional approaches and lifestyles, and you're very committed so that they can impart this information to others. So tell us what got you on this path. Yes, well, um, as, you, as you said, I work in a, a small medical specialty called occupational medicine. And occupational medicine is actually all about how your health affects your work and how your work affects your health. And for many years, I was the head consultant, the head senior doctor at this very large teaching hospital in Oxford. And we started doing more and more proactive work and um, going out Look, we basically were looking after all of the staff in the hospital, and I became more and more interested in doctors and medical students' health and well-being. And we started doing more proactive work with all the staff in the hospital, uh, and uh, particularly from a lifestyle medicine perspective. So that was looking at stress management, looking at what food is available when doctors and nurses and so on are on call, and looking at how they can possibly fit exercise into their day and so on. And I started doing a lot of training for doctors. I saw that most doctors, just due to a combination of being very busy and not really having learned enough about this in medical school and, and learning from a very, very early stage, really actually not to look after themselves properly and to put patients first, and started getting involved in how important it is to help doctors look after themselves. And as part of that, I started becoming more and more interested in nutrition as well, and then um, became interested and, and found out about this extraordinary berry, which is the Haskat berry, which is one of the things I really want to, to talk to you about today. Well, what did you find about medical students and, and doctors' health? I found medical school to be horrible experience. Every minute of every second of every day, even when I was walking, I was studying. The stress was horrendous. And I've seen people go in very idealistic and they come out quite changed. I mean, every three days there's a 40-hour shift. I mean, I was always fantasizing about being in a bed sleeping. How has this affected their health or their attitudes as, you know, as students and when they become doctors? Yes. So there's no, no doubt that, unfortunately, um, medicine is at the moment a very stressful, and for most people, um, a stressful um, occupation, uh, although it is an amazing and wonderful occupation as well, without doubt. Um, but I think we have to look very carefully at the stresses and how we can reduce stress. And I actually use an occupational medicine three-level model of prevention. So pr primary prevention means you have to go into the workplace and actually reduce the stresses in the workplace. So that's looking at things like demands, what's coming through the door, that you've got enough um, doctors and nurses to look after the patients in your care and so on. So that's primary prevention. Secondary prevention is when you give uh, people tools to support them to help to manage their stress, and this can be very useful. And then tertiary prevention means that you give people confidential 
early and ideally free support that they can get hold of. And one of the problems with um, many organizations is they think that they can just offer secondary prevention. They can say, oh, we'll just give a, a mindfulness workshop to all our doctors and everything's going to be okay. But of course, it doesn't work that way. That's like putting a plaster on a burst artery. You know, it may last for a few seconds, but you've got to look at the whole picture to get this problem sorted, um, both in medical school and in healthcare. And we need to be looking after our doctors and all our healthcare workers throughout their careers. Very sadly, in America, somewhere between three and 400 doctors actually commit suicide every year, which is an absolute tragedy. And this is something we all need to work very hard to prevent. And that's partly because doctors find it very hard to reach out to get help and to get confidential help when they need it. Wow, and it's also very complicated in the U.S. because many of them, uh, they had like $400,000 in student debts when they got out. Oh, and they also had to have the very expensive houses and send their kids to very expensive schools. They were stressed and working 80, 90 hours a week when they got out of uh, their training. Sure. And yeah, and they have to pay back their student loans as well, which can be uh, a lot of money, I understand, in the States. Wow. So what are some of these tertiary approaches to people that are stressed out? Because this is going to apply to everybody that's listening. I mean, there's been increasing stressors lately. I mean, a lot of people have lost their jobs. I mean, it just, I mean, inflation, all sorts of things, it's going to be increasingly stressful. What are some of these tertiary uh, approaches that can help people when they've been really stressed out? Sure. Well, I think, as always, the most important thing is to find somebody to talk to about it, not to try and cope on your own and think you're the only person that's been affected. So we very much say, you know, please don't be scared to reach out for help a friend, a family member, and then, of course, a professional if you need to. And then we need to really review somebody's um, health and well-being, their lifestyle, their, their stresses, and to organize a, a personalized treatment plan for somebody. And that really involves lifestyle medicine things as well, such as, you know, nutrition, exercise, sleep, not abusing alcohol and drugs, and so on. So it, the idea for me is, it's a very, is to look at somebody in a very holistic, holistic manner. That sounds quite exciting. So tell us more about this Hescap berry. Um, how did you end up starting to uh, investigate it? Well, maybe I'll just tell you the, the backstory, really, because it's a, a bit of a crazy story. You know, how did a British couple end up buying a farm in Canada, in Nova Scotia, and growing hascap berries. So basically, my husband and I, with our children, um, went on holiday to Nova Scotia in 2007, and we just fell in love with Nova Scotia. It's uh, a small province. It's the size of England and Wales, with about a million people, beautiful scenery, wonderful music, uh, lovely walking, kayaking, all the things that we loved, and also a very strong community spirit. And my husband, Simon Feynman, is actually a, a green entrepreneur, and he just finished a big reforestation project in Ghana, where they planted half a million trees, and he really wanted to own his and manage his own woodland. And woodland is actually very expensive in the UK, and we were amazed to find out that woodland is actually pretty cheap in Nova Scotia 
and we ended up buying a farm, um, which was around 80% woodland and 20% farmland. And, and I often joke that people normally go on holiday and bring back a souvenir, and um, you know, like a little souvenir. And we went on holiday and, and we, we brought back a, a farm with us. Um, and we really wanted to grow something. You know, it takes 15 to 20 years to make money out of um, ethical woodland management. And so we needed to find something to grow on the fields that we had, these beautiful fields that we had, uh, to try and sort of bring in some revenue more quickly. And we actually were Googling ideas with a friend, and we actually came across this extraordinary berry. And after we started, which we started growing uh, in Nova Scotia, and after learning a lot on our small farm, we actually, with a group of investors, bought a much larger farm called Lone Tree Farm, and we now grow 80 acres of Haskat berries. And they grow on bushes, the berries grow on bushes, and they take about five to six years to mature. And our farm is eco-friendly and all-natural, and we're working towards organic certification. It's also, it's also bee-friendly because the bees are very important. We need the bees for pollination. And my husband was actually going about a week, a month to Nova Scotia, uh, but we now have a wonderful farm manager called Cynthia who is looking after the whole of the farming side. It became sort of too difficult to manage from the UK. And I basically started working as research director and getting very excited about the berry. And I now help Simon run the company. But let me just tell you why Haskat berries are so special. Um, they're actually an edible blue honeysuckle. They're known as honeyberries as well in America. And they look a bit like an elongated blueberry. They're actually a double purple blueberry, with a, a double berry with an outer skin. And they've got a crimson crimson flesh all the way through. And that color is really important. And I'll explain that in a minute. It, they also, as you kindly mentioned at the beginning, have a delicious tangy sweet flavor. And they've got a, a lovely backstory too. They, they grow, Haskat berries grow in all the northern boreal forest areas around the world. They need a cold winter. They have to be able to, the very hardy plants, they need to be able to withstand the really, the, the harsh, um, the harsh cold winters. And it's thought they originated in Siberia and were carried by birds to Hokkaido, which is the northern Japanese island, where they were known and loved by the indigenous people there called the Ainu people. And Haskap is actually an Ainu word, which means many things on the end of the branch. And the berries were used in traditional medicine in quite a few places in the Far East. And the Ainu knew them as the elixir of life or the berry of long life. And as a doctor, that really got me interested to find out more. They do grow these berries wild in all the provinces of Canada. Uh, but we actually went to a gentleman, a wonderful gentleman called Dr. Bob Bors, who was working in the University of Saskatchewan, because he took cultivars from actually all around the world, and he crossed them to make plants that he thought would be suitable for agriculture in Canada. And we were actually the first people to bring his cultivars and farm Haskat berries in Nova Scotia. And, and as you said, I think the really exciting bit for me was, was the nutrition. Um, they have got three times more antioxidants than, than blueberries, than highbush blueberries. And they've got four times something called the amphocyanins of blueberries as well. 
And let me just tell you what anthocyanins are. It's a difficult word, isn't it? But anthocyanins are actually the naturally occurring plant pigments that give fruit and veggies their deep purple, blue and red colours. And they're actually part of the flavonoid group of phytochemicals. And the word comes from the Greek. Um, Amphos means flower and kyanos is dark blue. And it's all about the colours. So if you think of a blueberry... A blueberry is blue on the outside, but it's actually greeny white on the inside. And if you look at our berries, our hascap berries, they've got this double dark purple blue skin and they're crimson all the way through. And that's why they're so high in antioxidants and these anthocyanins. Now, they're also actually uh, very high in vitamin C. And they contain quite a lot of other very interesting um, phytochemicals too, things like chlorogenic acid and quercetin and iridoids and so on. Um, They've actually got a very unusual anthocyanin profile as well. Um, If you look at blueberries, um, they actually normally have about 20 or 25 very small amounts of lots of different anthocyanins, but our berries have a very large amount, about 85% of one particular anthocyanin called cyanidin-3-glucoside, or C3G for short. And of course, the other important thing is they just taste great, and they are this gorgeous purple color, and sort of everybody, everybody loves them. So um, if you're happy for me to just carry on telling the story, Susan. Oh, please do. Please do. I want to make sure that you get all the information out and, you know, you're on a roll. Continue. Yeah, no, I'll carry on if that's okay. So what do you do when you grow berries? You know, when we grew, so we started growing these berries. And you think, what are we going to do with them? Simon was very keen to actually make value-added products because that's how you make money in farming because he'd come from the timber industry, which is a commodity, the lumber industry, you'd say in America, the lumber industry, which is, just, you know, is a commodity product. So the first thing we did was we thought, well, we're going to make some juice with these berries and we squeezed them and we made juice. And we took the juice actually to the World Juice Awards. And who would have known such a thing existed, but they are the World Juice Awards were in Cologne in 2013 in Germany, and our juice actually won Best New Juice in the World Juice Awards. And we thought, hey, you know, we, we may be onto something here. And then we started making um, other grocery products, and like jam and chutney, and it makes amazing ice cream. It also makes great alcohol, actually. It makes a lovely gin. But I started getting more involved in the business at that point and really starting to research the nutritional potential of the berry. And I really, you know, however lovely and delicious those grocery products were, I was keen to make a product that retained the bioactive, you know, all those active compounds and was also available all year round. Because the harvest, the um, the, the berry harvest is normally at the end of June, beginning of July. It lasts about two weeks and then, you know, you only got fresh berries for a couple of weeks and that's it. So what we decided to do was we, we freeze, we cool the berries as we harvest them on the field. 
and then we freeze them immediately to lock in all that goodness. And then we looked at how best to freeze, uh, to dry them. We looked at lots of different drying options and we found that freeze drying was the best option. So we then freeze dry the berries and we make a freeze dry powder that we put into 100 gram pouches. Um, it's incredibly easy, the powder to use. So one teaspoon is equivalent to like a handful of fresh berries. And one pouch, 100 gram pouch, contains around 800 berries. Um, and you only need one teaspoon or two teaspoons a day. And as you say, how do, we, how do you eat it? Well, I put it in yogurt. I put it in my oatmeal in the morning as well. You can put it in a teaspoon or two in smoothies or in shakes. And it also makes an absolutely delicious Haskat berry tea. And as I said, it, it makes everything that it touches go this gorgeous purple color. So that's kind of just a sort of introduction, an introduction to the, to the berry and how we got into this uh, fasc fascinating business, actually. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, typically in produce, the darker the color, usually the more healthy and the more polyphenols, etc., that are in it. So the fact that this berry is dark on the outside and dark on the inside does support your statement that it has more nutrition in a blueberry because a blueberry inside doesn't have much color. In your processing, how much of the nutrition is lost? Okay, we lose, we, we retain very high levels of anthocyanins. We do retain vitamin C, but not all of the vitamin C. And so we're, we're very pleased that the freeze drying does a very good job. Um, is it still in a usable form that is good as eating the berries? Um, yes, I mean, I, I believe it is as good. Listen, in an ideal world, I would love to give you fresh berries um, or even just frozen berries uh, if you can get hold of them. But I think that uh, freeze-dried powder is very much the, the next best thing. Okay. You know, we, can't, we just can't distribute fresh berries. They're just not around for long enough. You know, they are delicious, but they're, they're, and they, they don't, they're, quite, they're quite friable, the berries, actually. They're, they're not easy to, to send far, far away as well. Well, tell me more about the anthocyanins, uh, you know, their health benefits and what research has been done on them to, uh, to highlight the potential benefits to our health, performance and healthy aging. Sure, sure, absolutely. So there aren't yet any official um, anthocyanin health claims, but we can certainly look at all the, the research behind them. And anthocyanins are associated with antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, heart protective and brain, brain protective and actually anti-diabetic properties. So I'd, I'd love just to tell you about some of the studies that have been done out there because there really is a growing body of research. And I want to start by just telling you a little bit about some epidemiological studies. And I thought, I know you have... Um, a, a very knowledgeable audience, but I thought I'd just remind everybody uh, a little bit about what an epidemiological study is versus a clinical study. So an epidemiological study, that's like a population study, and a lot of nutrition is done in these types of studies. You take a cohort, a large group of people, and you then track them over many years, looking at their food, looking at their lifestyle, and looking at their health outcomes. And the best known of these studies is called the Harvard Nurses Health 
study which started at Harvard when they took 121,700 nurses in 1976 and they've been following them up ever since. And they've actually taken many other groups of nurses every couple of years so they have lots of cohorts. They also have cohorts of men and of course now these are now mixed cohorts as well. And these epidemiological studies can show associations but they're still very powerful studies um, because um, they're very large numbers and they're followed up for a long time. And that compares to a clinical study which actually proves cause and effect. So the two, two big areas I want to talk about are heart health and brain health. So I thought I'd start just by talking a bit about the, the heart health studies. So there's, there's large epidemiological studies that have shown that a higher anthocyanin diet is associated with a 32% reduction in the risk of having a heart attack in young and middle-aged women. And that was a study that actually followed nearly 94,000 women for 18 years. Um, there's another similar study that showed that people with a high anthocyanin diet had a 14% reduction in risk in developing non-fatal heart attacks, and that study was done in men. And another really interesting one um, that was done looking at blood pressure that followed 157,000 people for 14 years, and that showed that the ones that had a higher level of anthocyanin, and we're only talking about 18 milligrams per day, um, had an 8 to 12%, um, an association of an 8 to 12% reduction in the risk of developing high, high blood pressure. And there's also a very big review was published in 2017 um, that concluded that eating a diet that was rich in anthocyanins was actually associated with a, a reduced risk of dying from all causes, but particularly from heart and circulatory diseases. Um, and one of the main actions of anthocyanins is actually to increase a chemical called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide does some very important things. It helps look after the inside layer, the endothelium of our blood vessels all over our body. And it also increases, uh, can, can dilate our blood vessels to open up our blood vessels. And that can increase blood flow and oxygen and nutrient delivery. So we think that that's one of the, one of the important ways that anthocyanin cyanins work and help our cardiovascular system. So if we go on to think about our brains, you know, one of the biggest challenges we have in the world today is the number of people living with dementia, and it's estimated at around 50 million people at the moment. And the World Health Organization are predicting that in 2030, which is actually only eight years away, that number is going to go up to 86 million. And we do know that anthocyanins are associated with reducing the risk of cognitive decline um, as we age. And, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this a lot in your show before, but, you know, there's um, a lot of a lot of people now feel very strongly that at least 40% of dementia cases could be prevented if we can just target important risk factors and, and lifestyle factors, you know, such as, you know, diabetes, blood pressure, and being overweight and so on. And a fabulous review published a few years ago looking at 18 different intervention trials, looking at anthocyanins and in berries, um, looked at cognitive performance, and the results 
all showed significant improvements in memory. So we think memory is, is one of the most important areas, but some studies also showing improvements in executive function. And one of the um, epidemiological studies that's always quoted uh, when we're talking about looking after our brains is one that was published by Devore um, in 2012. And, and um, she actually um, followed women over the age of 70 for um, six years and showed that the women that, that had a higher anthocyanin content in their diets actually delayed their cognitive aging by two and a half years, which is pretty extraordinary. Um, a more recent study published in 2020 was looking at the risk of um, anthocyanins and getting Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. This is one that was actually um, done at Tufts University in Massachusetts. And they followed 2,800 adults over 50 for 20 years, and they did four yearly medical assessments and food questionnaires. And the results showed that a low intake of anthocyanins, so that was basically people eating no berries a month, was associated with a four-fold increased risk of getting Alzheimer's disease and related dementias compared to the highest anthocyanin intake, which was only 16.4 milligrams of anthocyanins per day or, or really seven and a half cups of berries a month. So, you know, I think we can see that anthocyanins uh, may be very important when we're thinking about reducing the risk of, of, um, of dementia going forward. How do they work? Well, we've got some ideas on how they work. We know that anthocyanins can cross the blood-brain barrier to get into our brain, so that's a good start. We know they have important antioxidant activity. They have important anti-inflammation, anti-inflammatory activity. And again, we're sure that improving brain blood flow in the same way that we talked about improving, you know, cardiovascular blood flow may be an important um, factor as well. Now, as well as our heart and our brain health, and there's some very interesting studies looking at anthocyanin intake, higher intake being associated with reduced reduction of, of other diseases as well. And um, one of them, which is a very important disease, is, is type 2 diabetes, um, which we know is, is increasing sadly all the time at the moment. And this study looked at 200,000 people that were followed for up to 24 years, and they showed that the group that were having having 22 milligrams of anthocyanin per day in their diet had a 15% reduction in the risk of um, actually getting type 2 diabetes. And this sort of goes on and on. I think one other um, study I would like to just mention is um, one about erectile dysfunction in men. Um, and this study actually looked at 25,000 men who were followed for 10 years, and men who ate 15 milligrams per day of anthocyanin had a, a 9 to 11% reduction in the incidence of erectile dysfunction. And this is all the same mechanism. It's all about really looking after your blood vessels and improving blood flow. So I think that there's real growing evidence here that a diet rich in anthocyanins is a really good idea. 
But, you know, the big question is how much should we actually be eating? And some, a couple of studies have recently been published suggesting that a daily moderate intake, just 50 milligrams of anthocyanins a day is enough. And that's really equivalent to a third of a cup of blueberries um, a day. And that, that's really the, the all you need. We know that people aren't eating enough anthocyanins. Um, in America, one study suggested people were only eating about three milligrams on average a day, but the, the, the sort of average around the world is somewhere between 3 and 43 milligrams per day, and we know it's higher in southern European countries compared to northern European countries because of their fantastic um, you know, Mediterranean diet with lots of wonderful fruit and vegetables. And the other place that's interesting just to note uh, regarding anthocyanins is in the blue zones. So just to remind your listeners of the blue zones of these five amazing places around the world where uh, people live for the longest and the healthiest. They live for the longest time and the healthiest time. One of those blue zones is in Okinawa in Japan, and the, one of the staples in their diet is purple sweet potatoes. What's in purple sweet potatoes that we think is relevant? Well, again, it's the anthocyanins. So they're, they're some just, I, I think they're amazing molecules. I'm very excited about them. Well, I'm excited too, because I'm convinced. Uh, it sounds like some of these studies were clinical studies that were looking specifically at the contribution of anthocyanins. However, uh, many of these long-term studies, were they looking at many variables? Are there confounding variables, such as people that are eating a lot of berries might be doing exercise and other healthy activities? How can you sort Absolutely. out the contribution and these long-term studies of the anthocyanins? Absolutely. Well, there's, there's really very clever statistical analysis that can do this. And you put in all the variables and all the confounding factors and you can put them in and take them out and actually end up just looking at one variable at a time. It's fantastically clever statistics. And uh, so you can really make uh, you can really talk about just just anthocyanins and the effect they have on their own. Great. Um, like if somebody's starting to have cognitive decline, uh, would the anthocyanins uh, reverse it? Um, I, I sadly don't think that there is research to say that they would necessarily reverse it, but I think there is some, certainly we know that diet is a huge part of, of, of looking after yourself and trying to reduce the risk of cognitive uh, decline. And we think that uh, anthocyanins as part of a healthy diet, I believe, is an important factor. Well, looking at Dale Bredesen's work, and he's been on the show, uh, he sees dementia as a multifactorial event, and he likens it to like 38 holes in the roof, you know, many confounding issues, uh, contributing issues, and he addresses the uh, main eight or so, and he finds he's reversing cognitive symptoms uh, cognitive decline in Alzheimer's disease. And this could be multiple, multifactorial because he divides Alzheimer's into separate categories. One is you've got the catabolic uh, processes uh, greater than the uh, anabolic, meaning you're tearing things down in your body more than you're building them up. Another type of Alzheimer's he calls, um, you know, it's like related to sugar. I mean, some people call Alzheimer's diabetes three. Another category of 
Alzheimer's, he would call toxic, because toxins absolutely contribute to it. And so it's multifactorial. So it makes sense that if anthocyanins are one of the things one is doing if they're suffering cognitive decline, plus they do other things that uh, address the specific factors that are contributing to their specific uh, cognitive deterioration, kind of makes sense to me that the cognitive decline can be reversed if somebody's carefully guiding them through this. Well, I would certainly, I've certainly, um, I've, I've, I've followed his work very closely. I think he does some amazing work, and I know he has some wonderful results. And, I, you know, I, I, I know diet is a very important part of what he's doing, for sure. Okay. Uh, well, there's been some research with Hascap Berry on sports nutrition. Tell me about that. Sure. And, well, I can, I'll, I'll tell you about the sports nutrition, but I'll, I'd like to just tell you a bit about the general research just to start with, and then we'll come on to the sports nutrition. Great. Um, so, um, the, the, you know, one of the things, obviously, is, you know, again, there's no recognized health claims for anthocyanins and Hascat berries yet, but there is certainly emerging research. Um, there's obviously lots of research on vitamin C, but uh, if we look specifically at Hascat berries, um, one of the main researchers that we were working with in Nova Scotia is called Dr. Vasantha Rupa Singh from Dalhousie University, and he published a fantastic review back in 2018 looking at all the um, laboratory and preclinical evidence for Hascat berries and um, particularly looking at Hascat berries and their main anthocyanin, the C3G, and he showed that they have, um, you know, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, cardioprotective, neuroprotective, and anti-diabetic properties in, in the same way that we know that anthocyanins do. And that really was a wonderful basis to then go on to do some clinical studies because as a physician, I was just itching to try and actually start doing some clinical studies here. And I decided actually that cognition was the area that I wanted to start with. And the first pilot clinical study we did was with a team led by Professor Claire Williams from the University of Reading. And her um, her research was published in the European Journal of Nutrition. And it was um, a pilot dose response study looking at the acute effects of Hascat berry extract on cognition, mood and blood pressure in older adults. And it was a proper double blind crossover study. And it looked at the acute effects of three Hascat berry doses and a sugar match placebo on 20 older adults. So basically, um, they were, um, they had a, a baseline assessment done. They were given the, the, the dose of the berries or the placebo. They didn't know what they were getting and neither did the researchers. And then they reassessed their blood pressure and cognition and so on 90 minutes later. And results of this acute study showed improvements in cognition with improved word recall and recognition, which are episodic memory effects, plus some improvements in diastolic blood pressure. That's the lower blood pressure number with higher doses appearing more effective. And they said, of course, that the, the positive blood pressure result was probably caused by dilation of blood vessels as observed in previous anthocyanin research. So that was the, the first uh, study. 
Um, but then um, I'd actually like to go on to the um, second study that we've done, which is absolutely about sports nutrition research. And um, we knew that amsocyanins with their antioxidant and anti-inflammatory and vasoactive properties might be very relevant to sports nutrition. Um, and there was, there was some, actually some very interesting um, mouse studies done uh, looking at how wonderful, how, how C3G really improved exercise performance in, in mice that was done in Japan. So I thought, you know what, we need to look at, uh, you know, what Haskat berries do in humans. And we went to Professor Glyn Howitson from the University of Northumbria in, the, in north, the north of England. And he has just published very recently um, a study looking at exercise endurance in runners. And basically, he took 30 uh, male recreational runners and he got them on a treadmill in his laboratory. And he got them to do what's called a submaximal, a maximal, and then a five-kilometer time trial. And we decided five kilometers was a good kind of length of time. A lot of people try and run five kilometers. It's like the park run that lots of us try and do. He divided the 30 men into two groups. Uh, they, they, and one group was randomly allocated Haskat powder or the other group was given a placebo control. And the group either took the, group, uh, either took the control, uh, the, the placebo, or they took the Haskat powder for six days. And they actually took two teaspoons in yogurt every morning. They came back on the seventh day and they did all the tests on the treadmill again. And what he showed um, was that there was improved exercise endurance at low intensities with the group that took the Haskat powder. That was our Haskat powder with uh, really showing more efficient oxygen consumption while they were running. And the maximum test, so the maximum test is when somebody's running until they're absolutely exhausted. That actually showed improved time to exhaustion. So it took longer for the athletes um, who had the Haskat berries to fatigue compared with those that hadn't. And they also looked at the five-kilometer time trial, and the group that had Haskat berries improved their five-kilometer time um, by 21 seconds, which is, is not nothing, actually. It's quite a lot. And that really equated to an improved uh, performance uh, in their running of around 2%. Or another way of putting that was that they ran about 0.25 kilometers per hour quicker over the same distance. So we were very excited about these results. Um, uh, Professor Howitson is, is sure that this is relevant to all uh, endurance athletes, not just running. So that could also include cycling. It could include rowing and so on. And again, when we were talking about, you know, what's the mechanism behind this, it's really these three areas that we've talked about already. It's, um, you know, the, the fact that it improves um, exercise-induced exercise oxidative stress that occurs. Um, it can improve exercise-induced inflammation, and it can also improve vascular function as well. And it, it's back to that vasodilation and increasing, you know, oxygen utilization and, uh, and, and nutrients uh, arriving um, where, where they need to be. So those are the two clinical studies that we've done. And we're, we're very, very excited about that. Um, the other area I wanted to just mention, actually, was, was potential anti-diabetic properties of Haskat berries because 
Um, extracts from several different Haskat berry cultivars have demonstrated anti-diabetic properties, both um, in the lab and in mouse models in, in the research literature. And um, it looks like um, they um, can work by inhibiting uh, something called alpha amylase and alpha glucosidase and DPPP4. Um, and these actually work in the same way that some of the commonly used anti-diabetic drugs actually work. So that's really quite exciting as well. Um, I mean, I would love to do, there's no human research on this yet at all. It's something I would absolutely love to do if, if I could find funding to do more human research. And last uh, but not least that I wanted to mention was a doctor called Dr. Sandra Kaufman. I don't know if you've come across uh, Dr. Kaufman's work. Um, she is um, uh, an anaesthetist with a special interest in anti-aging, and she has a protocol to assess and rate all sorts of um, dietary and molecular agents to see whether they may have anti-aging properties. And she looks at seven different areas of aging. So they are things like um, your DNA, your energy systems, your mitochondria, cellular pathways, your immune system, how your body and cells manage waste, and so on and so forth. And she gives your product, your, your molecular agent, a rating. And she was very pleased with what she found. She, I sent her all the research papers and she did her own research. And Haskat berries get a rating. You get, every, every, uh, you get a rating of 0 to 3 for each of those areas. And she's given, given Haskat berries a rating of 1, 3, 2, 1, 2, 0, 2. So, you know, if you're interested in, in, in anti-aging, do go and look at her website, which is uh, at the, the kaufmanprotocol.com. Um, and we're very pleased that she, she thinks Haskat berries have, have merit when it comes to anti-aging. And I guess that kind of brings us back to the beginning that the ANU knew this um, berry, the ANU knew the berry as the berry of, of long life, you know, because it, it was already known as the berry of long life in, in traditional medicine. So I, I think that's uh, sort of, we've come a little bit full circle there. Well, I hope so. Anyway, what is Kaufman's rating of 1.3.2.1.2.0.2 mean? Right. Well, what it means is she looked at the research in each of those areas and three is the best and one, zero is, is there isn't any research. So, for example, there is good research for uh, Haskat berries um, uh, and mitochondria. And actually, if we go back to um, the, the mouse study that I was talking about, um, the, the, I can tell you a little bit about that mouse study, actually, if, if we have time, um, because um, this was looking at C3G, and they had um, two groups of mice, one that were given C3G um, with, their, with their food and one group of mice that weren't. And um, they got the mice swimming every day, and they actually put little weights on their tails so that they actually sort of improved their swimming. They swam more. And on day 15, they swam to exhaustion. And actually, the um, mice that had the C3G added to their diet swam for 60% longer, which is pretty extraordinary. They had lower lactate levels, increased body mass in their, in their swimming muscles and more mitochondria 
in their skeletal muscle cells. And our mitochondria are like the powerhouses of our cells. And they then went on to actually have a look at the underlying mechanisms. And they showed that C3G um, can enhance the exercise performance by activating uh, lactate metabolism and the biogenesis, the creation of mitochondria um, through uh, skeletal muscle, muscle um, uh, PGC1-alpha upregulation, basically through gene upregulation. So uh, the bottom line is we know that Haskat berries seem to increase the number of mitochondria in the cell, and maybe that's one of the ways that they can work. That's exciting because uh, we need our mitochondria. They're our energy powerhouse, and when they start to go... We have all sorts of difficulties. So where can we get your Haskap berry powder? I mean, wh- where do I get it when I run out? Sure. Well, you can get it on our website, which is www.haskapa.com. That's H-A-S-K-A-P-A.com. And we actually have a special offer for all your radio show listeners. So it's a 15% offer, and you just need to use a code, which is HEALTH15 at checkout. So that's H-E-A-L-T-H, and then number 15. And if you put that in at the checkout, you'll get 15% off. You can also buy it at Amazon.com as well. Uh, Can you send this to the United States and all through Europe and other continents as well? Absolutely. Yeah, so from our website, we we send to Canada, we send to the U.S., we send to Europe, we send obviously in the U.K. So there's there's no problem sending, uh, you know, around the world if people want to buy. Oh, well, I certainly want to get some more because it makes yogurt delicious. I can put all sorts of other powders like broccoli sprouts and uh, it buries those other flavors so it just tastes good. Uh, what are some of the take-home points that you want the listener to uh, take with them? Sure. Well, I just, I just hope people can feel my excitement about Haskat berries, and, and, and I, I, I'm, I want to, you know, I want to pass my excitement on about this exciting new berry. Um, I want them to remember that they've got three times the antioxidants and four times the anthocyanins and blueberries, and they're high in vitamin C. Also, maybe to remember that they were called the elixir of life and the berry of long life by the indigenous Ainu people, and they were used in traditional medicine as well. And I think in a, as a more general take-home message, just that it's really important to eat the purple, blue, and red end of the rainbow. We really want everybody to increase their anthocyanin intake. We can see that it seems to have some very important health benefits, and we hope that you might want to try Haskat berries as, as a way of doing that. And I think last but not least is this recently published research that's shown that Haskat berries can improve runners' exercise performance. Well, uh, this is very, I'm very excited as well. Uh, I'm very excited. It tastes good. Uh, Do you have any other things you would like to discuss in the last four or five minutes that we have? For example, what can we do to, you know, what recommendations do you have for medical school training or any other topic you'd like to discuss? Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, I think for medical schools, I'm actually just writing a, a book chapter about this. I think we need to go back to this primary, secondary, and tertiary um, uh, plan that I was telling you about, the, w- the way of looking at things. I think part of that is getting over the stigma 
of reaching out for help. We know that one in four of us is going to have a mental health problem at some point in our lives. And we need to, as doctors, um, get used. We need to treat that mental health problem in the same way as any physical health problem. And we need to be able to do that for ourselves as well as patients in our care. So one of the really important things that I work with our medical students on is reducing stigma, saying it's okay not to be okay, saying it's okay to say I need some help and to go and get help if you're, if you're struggling and just not to struggle on your own. So I think that those are the really important messages and they need to start on day one of medical school and go all the way through our medical careers. But as well as that, we have to look at reducing stress, not just by giving people lifestyle tools because we all can improve what we do by having the right tools uh, you know, to manage our health and we need to teach everybody how to do that. But we need to also need to go back to basics and say, let's do what I call a stress risk assessment. Let's sit down and look at what are the challenges and what can we do to try and reduce those challenges at at their core. And that's a vital part of this. And uh, would you include this in the curriculum of the medical students so they can help their future patients? Absolutely. So the way I teach, I have developed um, a course which I teach to first-year medical school students, and it's really a mixture of occupational medicine and lifestyle medicine. I actually have them for 12 two-and-a-half-hour sessions in the first semester of the first year, and we really teach them. um, We look at... um, all the issues of, of medical student health and well-being. We teach them mindfulness. I teach them cognitive behavior therapy skills. We teach them nutrition. We teach them about exercise. We teach them motivational interviewing. How do you get people to change behavior? And and I also actually uh, we look at personality types as well. They first of all try all those things out on themselves and um, think about how you know w- what's important for them. But then they also have a whole range of tools to use in, for patients in their care going forward. And most importantly, at the end of the semester, they also need to write their own personal health and well-being plan to look after themselves now and going forward um, into medicine and for their lives going forward. And the fact that they sit down and they have to write a paper for me with, at the end of it, this bullet point plan saying, well, this bit worked for me and that bit did it didn't work for me and here's something I need to think about and boy learning to challenge those negative thoughts with cognitive behavior therapy has been incredibly helpful for me and and you know I'm going to use that going forward um that is it's very rewarding for me to see them putting the learning into action for themselves I think that's so important especially in the beginning stages of their medical education because it emphasizes the importance of this and lifestyle interventions is hugely important and it's very important that our clinicians and physicians are uh, well versed in this so I think it's hugely important that this is one of the first things the student uh, encounters because it emphasizes how important it is. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, just for all of us to remember, is we know that two-thirds of non-infectious diseases are thought to be related to our lifestyle. So if we can start doing prevention and getting on top of our lifestyles, uh, you know, we, we would be in such a better place, wouldn't we? And that's what we all really need to be doing. Absolutely. And also, sorry to interrupt, but stress exacerbates 
and makes any uh, health issue or chronic issue makes all of them worse. Anyway, we are coming to an end, so I want to thank you for your presentation. Remember her website, www.s, pardon me, www.haskapa.com, and, you know, try out our product. It's very good. So this is information for you folks. Share it with your friends, your your acquaintances, and with your physician. Discuss all your decisions with your physician. And above all, be well. We got the power to change the world. Thank you for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.